0: since this is the last section in Ephesians chapter 2, but it does kind of turn a corner. Uh, Paul has talked about us coming out of sin and out of death, being made alive. He's talked about uh, being children of obedience rather than children of disobedience. He's talked about being raised up together. By grace, we've been saved. We've become Christ's workmanship. uh, And because of that... new man that we've been created, we've been created to good works, and uh, we've learned that there's no difference now between the Jew and the Gentile, that Christ's death on the cross broke down that barrier, and so what? So now we get to the end of this, so what does that mean to us as Christians? If you're joining with us by internet or by Facebook this morning, I welcome you and hope that you have your notes in front of you. Paul says, Now, therefore... Now, we've seen that a lot. You see that a lot in Paul's writing. He'll give you three or four verses, and he'll say, So now, the reason I told you this, therefore, so what? He's going to tell you why he said what he said. Kind of like preaching. Tell them what you're going to tell them. Tell them, and tell them what you told them. And that's kind of what Paul is doing here. Except he kind of turns a corner, and he gets away from the individual person being brought up and being joined together with this group and and he focuses on what I believe is a great passage and a great argument for church membership. Who are you now and why membership? Paul is actually painting a portrait, I believe, of the church and what it means to be part of the church. Let's read the text. Now therefore, You are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Rich, rich text here. Full. Full. So much that we're not even going to skim the surface this morning. But I want us to talk about why, why membership? Why membership? We've been talking about that new identity and God's not talking about taking a Jew and making him a Gentile he's not talking about taking a Gentile and making him a Jew the whole emphasis is that he's bringing the Gentile and the Jew together and and making a brand new creation a brand new one and he uses one many many times throughout this passage of scripture that we've been covering one new body one set of believers Christians are unique in that Christ takes whatever we've been and creates a brand new being a new believer but why membership I read this little article this week that someone once called a pastor to say he wanted to become a member of the church And he went on to explain to the pastor that he wasn't interested in attending worship service every week or studying the Bible or visiting the sick or serving anywhere in the church, being a leader of any kind. He just wanted to be a member. The pastor commended him upon his desire to be a member of the church, but he told him, he said, the the church that you're looking for is not ours, but it's one across town. And he wrote. He gave the man the address to the church and told him to to go visit that church because that would be better fitted for him. He said when the man arrived at that address, he came face-to-face with the result of his own attitude because there stood an old abandoned church building ready for demolition. And I think that's what happens with people who refuse to ever commit themselves to a body of believers. There's just something about being a member, of being that commitment that you make, that accountability and and all that goes along with being a member of a local church. Now, please don't misunderstand me this morning. If you're not a member of Eastside Baptist Church, I'm in no way condemning you for not being a member of Eastside Baptist Church. But I'm just saying that you ought to belong somewhere to a local body of believers. There's just something about being a member. We're going to have a great opportunity to be the church on March the 25th. There's a great benefit of being a member of a church. When tragedy hits your family, and it will, it either has or it is or it will, and there's great benefit in just being a member of a church family that can come around you hug on you a little bit, support you, get you through. Just be there. And we're going to be able to be that church family on the 25th when we have the memorial service here for for Tony. I didn't know, Tony, that doesn't mean anything. It doesn't matter. We're a member of a family. We're going to see a little bit more what that means here in just a little bit. Jesus thought it important to be one Listen to what Jesus, and this is part of his intercessory prayer in John chapter 17. Listen to what Jesus says, and he says it in two different verses. In verse 11, he says, Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep them through your name, those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. And in verse 21, he, he prays again that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Jesus thought it pretty important to be connected, to become one. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. We just covered that a couple of weeks ago. For he himself is our peace who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. By abolishing in his place the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, that in him he might make the two into one new man. The new man is a body of believers. It's a a picture there of a family. It's a picture there of a new nation. And Paul, I believe, is painting a portrait here. And he's using things that they can very well understand. Pictures, illustrations. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul says if a man is in Christ, he is a new creation. I'm so thankful that God didn't remake me like somebody else. And I think that's what Paul was getting there. when he, It's pretty clear that he didn't take a Jew and make a Gentile out of him. He didn't take a Gentile and make a Jew. He made somebody totally new. Because there wasn't anybody fit. He's a new creation. He paints three pictures here, I believe, in these short verses. He paints the picture of a new nation, of a new family, and then of the church. Number one we're going to talk about is the new nation. What does it mean to be a citizen? Let's read that again. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. The word there is it's, uh it means... To be a fellow citizen, to be of the same citizenship, a native of the same town, someone who has always been there. You're going to be treated like someone who has always been there. It means to be with. It's the word that we get our word politics from. It was used in Luke when Luke talked about the prodigal son who who joined himself with a citizen of another country. He went out to feed the swine. And to become a citizen of another uh, country, one thing you have to do is swear to give up your allegiance to the country from where you came. So he gave up his own citizenship to become a citizen of another country. And he went out to feed the swine after he had squandered all of his inheritance. Citizenship. The Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners, but they're fellow citizens with the saints of God. We were strangers and foreigners at one time. If you've given your life to Christ, at one time you were a stranger and a foreigner to the things of God, an outsider, someone who didn't really belong, didn't fit in with the things of God. You were outside of God and His kingdom. You didn't belong to God. Alien To God and his kingdom. Exiles. No relationship with God. No home. No rights to citizenship. But note the great news that Paul writes here. No longer strangers and foreigners. That ought to bring great comfort to us today. Great peace. Even in difficult times. To know that as I talked to Bill this morning. We were standing there talking and. None of us are going to make it out of here alive. It's appointed point that a man wants to die. And after that, the judgment. We're going to all pass that way. We don't understand God's plan by a young man and not someone who's lived a seasoned life. We don't understand all that. You know what I do understand is that God takes all that we go through and works it out for the good of those who love Him according to Romans 8. So I'm looking for some good things to happen on March the 25th because of the family of God coming together. And there might be one person here that just needs to hear the gospel one more time. And in all of eternity, it'll all make sense. We don't understand those things. But Paul knew that they would understand this term citizenship. They would understand what it meant to be foreigners and strangers because they had been foreigners and strangers. I want you to go back to Genesis chapter 10. Go to the very end of chapter 10. This is right after the flood. Noah and his family had come off and had Shem, Japheth, and Ham, is that correct? three family, or three children. And the Bible says there in chapter 10 that the nations of the world would be scattered through these three offsprings of Noah. So guess what? You're a product, first of all, of Noah, and then of one of those three lines. And the Gentile people understood this very well. They understood that they were not of the offspring of Shem because that's the line that Abraham came through. That's the the children of Israel, the Jewish people came through that line. And so they were one or the other. And they understood what it meant to be outside of God's chosen people. And that's why Paul was painting the picture. You're no longer aliens and strangers, but now you're a citizen. Just like the Jewish people. You're a full-blooded citizen. Well, what does that mean? I read Dr. Phillips a lot because I met him and come to respect him. and uh, He is a resident of Bowling Green, Kentucky now, citizen of the United States. But I want to share his story with you because he's originally from Canada. And we have some great Canadians with us today who can understand this and some of the history behind that. But listen to what Dr. Phillips said. I'm not going to read it word for word, but he said, I lived in the United States for many years and enjoyed life among warm-hearted, generous Americans. But as a Canadian citizen, there were some things in the United States that were limited to me because I was not a United States citizen. He said, I was free to work, travel, own property, raise a family, and of course, pay taxes. But I have not been free to vote or run for public office or for many of the government jobs you have to be a an American citizen. He says, I was required to register for many years. I was required to register my whereabouts every year with the Department of Immigration and at all times I had to carry a card identifying me as a registered alien. In other words, I was constantly reminded that I was not a citizen, but I was a stranger and a foreigner in America. That's why the Gentiles understood when Paul said, You're no longer an outsider, but you're one who has all the rights of a citizen, the privileges. But there's also responsibilities. I have the responsibility as a citizen to honor my country. I have a responsibility to vote. I have have a responsibility to give up all prior allegiances to any other country. These are part of the things that when, when a new citizen comes into the United States, from out of the United States, and they pledge allegiance to the United States, that's part of the oath that they give. And they swear allegiance to the United States. That means that I'm going to serve the citizens and those who would come through our borders as a United States citizen. Those are some of the responsibilities that I have. And again, with the privilege to pay those taxes, I'll have responsibility to pay those taxes. But that's how they they understood what Paul was talking about. They had been in that lifestyle for so long. He says, you no longer have to do that. Because now you're a citizen of a new nation of the kingdom of heaven. Number two in your notes one family. One family. What does it mean to be in the family? It means to belong to a household to be domesticated into a family related by blood or by kindredship. You know how the Bible tells us that we're related to the family of God is that we're born again and then adopted into the family of God. You know, by Roman law, once a child was adopted into the family, he could not be put out. So they understood what Paul was talking about. That meant something to them, to be adopted into the family of God. How great does God love us? Listen to what First John 3, one says. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. Children. The right to run in and out because we're family. The responsibilities of being in the family. The privileges of being in the family. Of God's household. The heavenly household. What are some privileges of being in the family? To being recognized when you come in. I read a story of a a man who leads a a very large church. He said, you know, I, I enjoy being part of the church. I don't necessarily enjoy going to the church. And I can understand what he's saying there. He said, because when I travel and I go to another church, he said, I don't really enjoy going to the church because I'm not a member or part of that church. He said, I don't know anybody. And if they know me, and, and they, a lot of them would, especially leadership in the church because he's a famous pastor, he said, it, it kind of makes me feel uneasy because sometimes it makes them feel uncomfortable. But he said, I don't know anybody. I don't have anything in common because I don't know what they have in common. He said, I'm just kind of there and uh, spend my hour. I uh, said, I don't really feel like I'm a part of the church. And he, he went on to tell this story about people who never make a commitment to the church kind of find themselves in those same kind of positions. If they never commit themselves to a lifelong service you see, and that's part of our problem today. And I've heard pastors say it. I'm going to take that little church over there because there's been a lot of guys go through that church that end up in larger churches. They just seem to be a training ground. I don't think God's put training churches in church field. I think when a pastor goes to a church, you ought to commit to that church for a lifetime. Have an attitude, I'm going to be there till God calls me home. Because if I'm just thinking about being here for two or three years, I'm planning for being here two or three years. I don't care what you do five years down the road. That's the wrong attitude. You know, we have many church members that way, one to another. And when we make the commitment to be a part of God's family in a local family of believers, it ought to be for a lifetime of commitment. That ought to be our attitude. But I know that doesn't always work out. Things happen. But it ought to be a lifetime commitment. There's some privilege to there especially to those of the household of faith. We're going to take care of one another. And you can look at all of those privileges and just really look on the opposite side of that and know the responsibilities. But it's also our responsibility to take care of one another, to treat one another well, and to make sure that our needs are met. So it's not only a privilege, but a responsibility to share in the task of taking care of the things of God the house of God. You know, one of the things that I ran across this week that just really hit home with me, and and I've thought of this before and heard it before, but being in the family of God, we have a big brother. His name's Jesus. I can remember as a small child being on the bus for the... It wasn't the first time I was on the school bus, but I can remember being a, a real small child being on the school bus and some of the bigger kids were picking on me, and I said, "You just wait till my big brother gets here." Well, they didn't know I had a big brother until he stopped the picking on by busting out the front tooth of one of them. And it, but you know, I have a big brother named Jesus that has my back. Because I'm a part of the family of God. And I have a lot of other brothers and sisters. I'm glad you brought that up this morning. Sisters. Brothers. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And guess what? Because you've been adopted into God's family, you don't have any say in the matter. You know, I've got some brothers and sisters that don't always do everything I like. But I have no ability whatsoever to take away that right of being a... Because I didn't have anything to do with them becoming a brother or sister. And guess what? It's not my choice whether we have a brother or sister join our church. We're going to see that in just a little bit, Acts. It's important to be a part of the family of God. I'm going to have to move on. Number three, one foundation. It's the same foundation. Look at that. Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. It's the same foundation that the apostles and the prophets were built on. They were part of that foundation. But Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. What's that cornerstone good for? You know, when they laid that cornerstone in place, it was perfectly level, it was square, and it was straight. But you know what? They didn't put the cornerstone in until the cornerstone was ready to be put in. It spent some time out in the quarry, being chiseled and sanded and polished. And then that cornerstone's brought in and put into place, it's what all the other building is built upon. It determines how straight the wall's going to be, and how square the corner's going to be, and how solid it's going to be upon the foundation. And we're Stones being human in the quarry of life being prepared to live eternally with that perfect stone you see we're not ready many of us are not ready yet to even be put in the building God's still working on us and he does that continuously I like what First Peter says go over to 1 Peter chapter 2 First Peter chapter 2 verse 6 Listen to what Peter says. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief's cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a stone of offense. They stumble, being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. Chief cornerstone. That stone, go back to verse 4. Coming to him as a living stone. How can a stone be living? He paints a picture there, an architectural picture of something that is to grow. You see, if we just put a stone down on the ground and start to build a church, it's not going to grow. So we know that the meaning there was not just to have a physical stone there, but he calls it a living stone. Something that grows. The church is meant to be planted upon Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone, and to grow where it's planted. And how does it grow? Adding members. The chief cornerstone, that foundation there's two functions of the cornerstone in ancient times first of all the whole building would rest on it and secondly was for structure and if we build our church apart from or aside of anything else other than Jesus Christ we can expect it to fall but if we'll keep straight and square and level built on that chief cornerstone we can be sure that God will bless and we'll have a church that will move forward. Paul then refers to that that building that's being built as to the church. Number four in your notes. First of all, to the universal church. It's, It's the growing organism that Peter talked about. Not some concrete block that we're going to put in the corner to make a good solid foundation, but a living cornerstone. You see, because Jesus Christ is eternal. He'll never cease being the church. That living organism. Showing how the church ought to grow. And we have so many churches that are not growing. This church has been at its height and it's been at its, at its low. But I don't think Paul is necessarily talking about just numbers. Numbers are important because they represent each of us. One, you know, you're know, you a number. But he's talking about the church universal. The point is that more and more parts, more and more believers being fit into the building. Listen to what a uh, commentator said. He said the church and its believers have two ni- two dynamic challenges to this point. The church must grow. We must continue bringing in new stones. Because as I said earlier. Each one of us are going to pass this way. And I read an article this morning. That said only 7%. 7% of millennials. Profess to be Christians. Wow. What a challenge we have. You know the bright side of that is. We have 93% of millennials. So. The vast pool is just, it's just wide open to wind of the Lord. But the second part of that is that every believer within the building is a part of that building. Every one of us have a responsibility to continue to build the church, to help the church. But he's talking about the church local too. Look at what he says in verse 22. In whom the whole building I'm in verse 21, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, talking about the whole universal building, in whom you, speaking directly to the Ephesians, the church at Ephesus there, in whom you, make it personal, it could be saying, in whom you, East Side Baptist Church, also are being built together for a dwelling place of God and the Spirit. He's talking to them as individuals as the church there at Ephesus. And look at what he says. For a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. We can count upon the Spirit of God to help us in our troubled times, our discouraged times, our joyful times. You know, it it, it wouldn't mean much this morning if we just came together and had a great time of worship. If we didn't know what we were worshiping about. But that's what brings the excitement of coming together as a family. And understanding and have, having a common core of beliefs. When we stand up here and, and sing being a part of the family or of God, or it is well with my soul, or, or oh how I love Jesus. We know we understand each other while we're talking about it. That's part of being a family. We have a common language that we talk with one another. And then God's Spirit ministers to us wherever our need might be. Number five in our notes. I'm going to have to hurry. One temple. One temple being built up. The temple of a living God. We are to be His dwelling place. The Bible tells us that we're not our own. He creates us. He He works out into us the way that He would want us to be so that He might live in us through His Spirit. And we become His dwelling place. That's exactly what it means. That the Spirit of God would inhabit us in such a way that we might share the love of Christ with those around us. Think about the family. How it's been attacked. I'm talking about the natural family, think about how it's been attacked. And then think about the church family. There are so many commonalities. The correlation there is just phenomenal. The decline of the family it relates so closely to the decline of the church. I think that's why Paul paints this picture so clearly to the church at Ephesus. What I'm really trying to say to you is that you need to be a member, a part of the family of God. Children all over the world are torn emotionally, abused physically. They desperately need to hear that somebody loves them. The church is in the same predicament. We need to hear that somebody loves us. And I'm telling you today that Scripture screams out, God's saying, I love you, I love you, I love you. I want you to be a part of my family. I want to adopt you into my family. So what does that mean? Eastside Baptist Church can be that family. I really believe with all my heart, I wouldn't be here and I wouldn't say this, I really believe with all my heart that Eastside Baptist Church is a family of believers that cares about their members. And they're willing to open up their arms and to adopt just one more. Or two more, or three more, or 200 more. That pastor I was reading this morning that I was telling you about, he said, and it's a very large church. He said, so I, I got up one more one Sunday morning. It was early in my ministry. And he said, so I preached on church membership. And he just said, during the invitation, without any kind of explanation, he said, anybody that wants to become a member of our church today, just come forward. He said, 1,600 people came forward. He said, but I had to go back and find out. He said, I didn't know if they were Christians. Didn't know if they'd been baptized. He said, because I didn't say anything about that. He said, I was young. He said, then we ended up leading a lot of them to the Lord. And, and uh, he said, I remember one Sunday morning we baptized 90 people at one time. What a problem to have. I don't know if he was complaining or bragging. But the church, what does it mean? How do you become a member? Well, I'm going to tell you, you come remember Eastside Baptist Church the same way they did in Acts. Listen to what it says, Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Those who accepted his message, not my message, but the message that was being proclaimed from Scripture, were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. First of all, you need to have accepted Christ. You need to have common beliefs. It doesn't mean we're going to agree on every little thing. There's going to be some, as Paul called them, disputable matters. And those are the kinds of things that we need to to agree to disagree upon and and just live life together. Because how many of you live in a family where you all agree on everything you do? You can't even figure out where to go eat. Where do you want to go eat? I don't know. I don't care. And then when you get there, the person that said, I don't care, said, I don't like that. And we do the same thing in the church we come together we have our little friction sometimes but we have a common core of beliefs that should bring us back together and live together like a family. listen to what Acts chapter 2 verse 46 and 47 says every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts we can't hardly get together twice a week but they met every day They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad, sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. There really are only two requirements. And Scripture is very clear. Those who accepted the message, those who were saved, were baptized, and then were added to the church. You see, if, if you come today and you say, I've given my life to Christ and I've been baptized, then it's not my decision whether you're added to the church or not because the Bible says that Jesus added to the church daily those who were saved and baptized. And that's the only requirement. And the thing that we do for basically is just affirm those decisions that you've made and we'll welcome you into the church. It's just that simple. I like what John Ortberg said. He's the same guy that wrote, if you want to Walk on water, you got to get out of the boat. Listen to what he said. The church is not a place for people to gather occasionally for religious services. It's not one more social institution among many others. The church is God's dream for his most cherished creation. There is nothing like the church, no accomplishment, no organization or country or civilization. There is nothing as important as the church, and only the church will survive history to share God's eternity. Are you a member of the church? Universal, first of all, that you've given your life to Christ. And if so, then why not be a member of a local body? To help support, take on the responsibilities, the roles, the work that needs to be done, but also to access the privileges of being loved on, cared for, ministered to, supported in good times and bad. We share a time of celebration on Saturday once a month with giving away food to our community. It's just good to be a part of the family of God. So that's my challenge to you today. First of all, have you given your life to Christ? If not, why not today? And if you have, Have you been baptized? The Bible is very clear. When Jesus was baptized, the word baptizo in in the Greek means by immersion. And and I'm not against infant baptism and dedication of infants. It's a great celebration, but it has nothing to do with salvation. Have you been baptized by immersion since you dedicated your life to Christ? If not, you need to do that. It's just... It doesn't save you. It doesn't get you to heaven. But it's just a, a witness to the world and to the church that, I, yes, I've made that step. And It's a picture of what God's already done in your life. And if you've done that, then why not be a member of a local church? Today's a great day to get that started. And we'd love to welcome you. I'm going to ask Miller to come.